Hello, everyone, and welcome to Unlocking the Potential of Assessments, the show that delves into creating, delivering, and reporting on valid and reliable assessments. In each episode, we chat with assessment luminaries, influencers, subject matter experts, and customers to discover and examine the latest in best practice guidance for all things assessment. I'm your host, John Kleeman, founder and executive director of Question Mark, the industry leader in assessment management software. Today, we're really pleased to welcome Sue Martin, a pioneer in the assessment industry, responsible for implementing the first test center network in Europe. Along with this accomplishment, Sue was responsible for driving the major transformation of the SAP global certification strategy to a leading edge business enabler. And prior to joining SAP, Sue spent 15 years building and managing operations to support global certification programs. Prior to joining SAP, Sue spent 15 years building and managing operations to support global certification programs. Sue currently serves as Global Head of Personal Certification at Tough Rhineland, where she's indulging her passion for business transformation in credentialing and certification. Sue has chaired the European Association of Test Publishers Conference and is currently a member of the British Computer Society Learning and Development Committee and the OEB Advisory Committee. Welcome, Sue. I'm very pleased to have you on the show. Oh, well, thank you for the welcome, John, and thank you for having me on the show. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. So the way I tend to start these interviews is to ask how you first got into assessment. What what brought you into it or took you into it? Um, so we're going back a long time there, John. That's okay. <laughs> we're talking about 25 to 30 years ago, actually, um, when assessment was, was relatively new standardized assessment standardized certification was relatively new and in fact it went right back to the point in time where the pioneers within the IT industry discovered certification and particularly online testing um, and it opened the doors really to the IT industry as well so it was it was the those pioneers like IBM and, and Novell and HP um, who even before Cisco and Microsoft discovered IT certification. And um, that's when I got into the industry as regional manager for Central Europe for um, what was the, the predecessor of, of Thomson Prometric. So it was Drake Training and Technology was, the, was the, the company at the time. And it had about three name changes as I was building up the European infrastructure. But um, that's how I got into it, yeah. And how did, what were you doing before then? Were you this fresh out of college or? I know, no, before? Nice. <laughs> no, I was, uh, I was in consulting actually. Um, I was in consulting and that's why I basically came in there in a general management role. Um, so I was working for a, a German consultant and it was about financial consolidation software and, and how you could actually do systems, put systems into place for, um, for large multinationals. So you were building up the uh, test center network, and this was, I guess, uh, before the internet and before the Iron Curtain and the Berlin Wall came down and everything. Tell us about that. Yeah, so very interesting time. So, you know, we had, as I say, Novell, HP, I think it was IBM was the third one, their programs, and we also did some FAA testing as well. Um, so we had quite a bit of certification outside the IT industry, but Microsoft actually, a couple of years in, into actually this building up this infrastructure, Microsoft discovered IT certification and that, that kind of really took everything off the scale. Okay, so, so 
you were just saying that um, Microsoft got into IT certification and that moved things along a lot. Uh, how many different countries and how many different test centers per country were there? We were across all of Europe and um, particularly in Eastern Europe at that point in time. You know, so IT certification was hugely popular. But as you said before, John, you know, it's before the times of, you know, the Iron Curtain coming down, etc. So it was quite challenging setting up test centers. And also we did a lot with remote testing at that time. So what we understand nowadays in the certification industry is remote testing was at that time me putting somebody on a plane with a floppy disk in their briefcase. <laughs> And basically, people traveling around Europe to places like Bulgaria, wherever, having testing sessions um, and then, you know, the, the results actually, what we do via the internet nowadays, it was literally somebody sitting in a plane with a floppy disk. So taking the exam there and bringing the results back. Um, so things have changed quite a lot. <laughs> we sometimes think in the certification industry that, you know, progress could be more rapid. I know I've, I've sometimes been a bit frustrated in the past as a, a head of certification for various programs. You know, I've often wished things could go a bit more quickly. But actually, when you look at it over the over the course of the last quarter of a century, we've come quite a long way. And so what did you do after then? Did you stay with Prometric? Um, well, I, I worked as global head of operations for Promisor or Computer Adaptive Technologies um, as it started off and then got changed to Promisor. And that was a company that worked very closely together with Lotus. And Lotus started off as our major client and um, of particular interest to that part of my career was the fact that we did we did the very first live application test. So I don't know if Jim Adair kind of says something to you, but he was the pioneer at Lotus in those days in live application testing. And it was really the first live application testing that was done with any sort of volume worldwide. Um, and he was an amazing guy and he put so much research into that. And, and I think Lotus was very much the pioneer in that. So that was a hugely interesting time as well. It sounds good. And, and I think you also at some stage moved to Pearson? Yes, I did. So after being Director of International Operations at, at Promise, or I, I moved to Pearson in the Netherlands and I was responsible for building up client management, account management for European clients. So, you know, a lot of these functions were still kind of either in the UK or in the US. And so I built up business development and client management or account management functionalities and teams in for European clients. And then presumably you could have gone on and had a glittering career, perhaps even been a CEO of one of these companies, but I think you became an independent consultant. <laughs> yes, I did. What's the, what's the story there? Well, as you can hear from my um, from what I've just been telling you, by this time I'd spent about 12 years on the, on the vendor side and I felt that it was much more fun to really work on the client side. So I started off really with the idea that what I felt from the vendor side and what I was also hearing from my clients was that it was increasingly difficult or very, very challenging sometimes to kind of bridge the gap. And particularly in Europe where even in those days, I mean, prior to GDPR, we had significant data protection rules, et cetera, um, 
but even yeah even prior to what we have now um that were massive gap between what what is acceptable in terms of data protection in the us and what is acceptable in say a place like germany or belgium or whatever and also in terms of the kind of the volumes and the uh, amount of flexibility that European clients were kind of looking for, um, you know, you didn't have these huge, massive critical mass certification programs, but they, some of the certification programs sort of needed that starting point um, and needed to get over that kind of critical mass volume ceiling. And that I didn't find that they were being these smaller programs. They kind of got lost in the <laughs> in the world of the bigger US programs sometimes. And I felt that I could really bridge that gap and, and be more of a play more of a supportive role in getting these programs going because they didn't kind of fit into the genre of these big programs and, and that sort of thing. Um, and so that's how I went into freelancing, yeah. And then after that, I believe you moved to SAP, where you uh, set up their certification in the cloud program. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that and then perhaps move on to your current role at uh, Tuff? Yeah, so um, SAP was one of my clients, in fact, when I was a consultant, and they had an existing quite a, a, a sizable program going since the mid-90s and they contacted me um, in 2006, I think it was, um, and asked me to come and have a look at their program, review it, see if there was, see if it needed any changes or whether it was kind of fit for purpose, fit for the future. And I did that and particularly with where SAP was at the time moving much more, um, you know, away from the old kind of uh, ERP. Well, not away from it, but the certification didn't have so much relevance in the old ERP business, um, but was becoming increasingly relevant and important in the new strategic markets that that um, the SAP was focusing on in that in that point in time. So. Uh, and still is on, on the cloud business, on HANA, big data, that sort of thing. And uh, the, the certification became increasingly more important to be able to identify skills, et cetera, in the market for these new areas. So it was a very, very exciting project that actually ended up with me being global head <laughs> after a year and staying at SAP for eight years, uh, leading that transformation. And as you say, John, you know, we did the certification in the cloud, which I think, well, we pioneered that about seven years ago now, I think, six or seven years ago. So right at the beginning of, of remote proctoring, really, remote proctoring hadn't really got a hold on the market at that point in time. There's still a lot of scepticism around it. Um, but the reason that we did the certification in the cloud, we launched that platform was based on customer and partner advice. So we set up a uh, what we called a certification influence council, which then turned into a certification enablement council. And we met up on a quarterly basis, sometimes when we were doing really, you know, exciting projects like setting up the certification in the cloud, we were meeting on a monthly basis. And these guys were um, mentors, so they were influencers in the SAP community sense. They were partners, so leading uh, implementation partners, solution partners, and uh, customers. 
So leading global customers for SAP. And um, we consulted with them over a three-year period, in fact, about how could we make certification more valuable and hugely constructive discussions. And we actually had a couple of design thinking sessions as well, which helped us to to form the design of what we now know as the SAP Learning Hub and um, also the certification in the cloud. So the amazing thing about this was that it was largely customer and partner driven, which I think influenced the success of it quite quite substantially and, and, and that's always something that I in my in my projects I've, I've kind of encouraged people to go out and talk to your customers talk, talk to your partners talk to the people who are going to get certified and really make sure that you have all of that stakeholder feedback to be able to build something that has relevance and, and is successful. So it sounds like SAP if I understand right SAP was perhaps the first big organization to do uh, certification in the cloud with remote proctoring rather than using test centers. And yet, in early in your career, you were kind of setting up test center networks. Yeah. What's your view now? Do you think test centers and online proctoring or remote proctoring are equally good? Horses for courses? How would you present that? Well, it all depends. I'm not going to make a, a, a blanco statement, <laughs> John, because <laughs> it all depends on what you're trying to do with your certification program. So, for example, there are certification programs that are largely linked to classroom training. There are areas that are, are still very ILT based, and that's when those online test centers really make sense. Um, remote proctoring, I think, is really, really valuable parts of our program, for example. So you can offer a globally uh, relevant program. So you can offer remote proctoring and certification in geographies and areas where, you know, you wouldn't necessarily have a test center. Or for example, if you, if you want to offer a program worldwide and you've only got, you know, two people in Angola or wherever it is, you know, remote proctoring really, really makes sense on that sort of basis or for example recertification i mean here at tuv we have we normally recertify after three years so uh, bringing somebody back into a test center doesn't make sense and uh you know remote proctoring is definitely the way to go on that i know much of the skepticism around remote proctoring is security based but having had run global programs i've actually found remote proctoring to be as secure if not more secure than test centers interesting so just before we get on to sort of more general advice about setting up a certification program and other advice you can give people i believe you've recently moved to to tough if i'm pronouncing it correctly do you want to explain who tough are and what you're doing there TUV or TUF, Sorry. as we call it in Germany. <laughs> I heard it called all sorts of things. <laughs> um, we're a TIC organization, so testing, inspection, and certification. I find it quite funny because after a quarter of a century working in certification, I'm finally in a certification organization. <laughs> Um, you know, I've always headed up the certification for organizations that were IT or whatever. So, yes, that is our core business. Certification is our core business. And we certify persons based on the DEAN norms. And, uh, you know, our core areas are very much health and safety, uh, fire protection, but also TVET, the vocational training, etc. And we are worldwide and 
we've been certifying people for quite a few years now. I've been with the company only since September, but there's been a lot going on before I got here. Interesting. And you've done set up a lot of different certification programs. You've acted as a consultant for lots of uh, certification programs. You've one of the most experienced people in the industry, I, I would think, what, uh, particularly in, in terms of the range of different organizations you've worked with, what advice would you give somebody in setting up a certification program? Uh, I think when we chatted about this, you, you said you might be able to suggest the five most important things in setting up a certification program. Would you like to give some input into people who are thinking of setting up a certification um, program? Well, when I was a consultant and, and also also here at TUV and at SAP, um, I think having a good understanding of what certification is and what the goals are, of, it sounds really, really obvious, but actually it's not that one of the major keys to success is being very, very clear about what certification is and what you do and where you want to go with it. So the clarity of goals is is the first thing. Is it really certification? Is it formative assessment we want? Is, is it summative assessment we want? You know, is it my am I looking for a skills gap analysis? The amount of people that that came up to me after after events, etc., and with the phrase, you know, I need to set up a certification program. What do I do? How do I start? My response to that has almost always been, look, let's have a, you know, let's have a one day workshop and find out why you actually need a certification program. And and let's make sure that we're all really on the same page in terms of where do we want to go with this? Because even sometimes, you know, I found out that it wasn't actually a certification program that people were looking for. It was it was something to sell training or it was some sort of internal competence mapping program or something like that, which is really, really important to, to get that well defined before, you know, you put everything under that category of I, I, I need a certification program. So that's point one. The second one is strategic alignment. So this whole strategic alignment thing basically almost always comes out of the discussion what where do you actually want to go and what do you actually want to do but I've my experience has been that a lot of certification programs have failed or been less impactful if because of a lack of stakeholder support and that's internal external but also top management support and strategic alignment so um, much is obviously very big on impartiality, etc., and being apart from the rest of the organisation is still very, very important to have um, top management support and the strategic alignment to the company strategy. That's kind of been an area where I've identified quite often that, you know, it's running in parallel or completely in different directions to what the core business opportunities are of the company. Uh, understanding the audience. So a certification programme really has a whole bunch of stakeholders so, I mean, or audiences. You know, it has to have value for the guy or girl at the end of the, the certification chain. So it has to have add value in terms of employability or self-esteem recognition, whatever makes us tick, that makes us sit through an examination, <laughs> it has to add value to the individual, but it also, you know, there's invariably a whole bunch of other 
audiences, I'll say, around whether it's that, that individual or that individual's employer or, or that individual's university or, you know, the potential employer, the guy who's going to be looking through those job ads and seeing, oh, yeah, this guy is certified in this and this and this. Obviously, we have to work towards making sure that that potential employer understands the value of that particular certification. Otherwise, it it has no value for the individual that's just gone through the process. And so it's really, really important to to understand that whole stakeholder map and, and to build value proposition for all of your audiences in an equal manner. So, you know, don't focus too much on the on the individual and forget that if nobody looks for his certification in a in a job in you know his CV. So that balance really of of the different audiences to make sure that you've got the level of recognition. Another concern that I often have when looking at things is is that we tend to sometimes be too academic about it. Um, and when I say academic, I mean we often consider it like a one-off event. This is particularly when we're talking about the education side of things and we still sometimes see this idea of you go to university, you get your degree and Bob's your uncle, off you go. That's your career path outlined for you. And that is is no longer been the case for quite some time. (laughs) You know, we have to keep learning. We have to keep having validated qualifications and, and certifications to be able to keep up with the market and it's not just in the area of digital it's it's everything whether it be you know environmental protection uh, health and safety the speed at which everything is really changing is accelerating and we shouldn't treat certification there has to be certification tracks there has to have to be learning paths in there and we have to really adopt the um, lifelong learning approach and bring that into certification as well. And I think, how, how am I doing? I think I've you've got done four. four. I think you've done four. <laughs> uh. I think number five is dynamicism. Having an open mind for innovation and make sure that the technology that you're, you know, not technology for technology's sake, but always analysing why are we bringing in technology and what sort of technology you want what value does that actually bring to the program to the individual target audiences etc um, and so horses for courses in terms of technology as well uh, making sure that it open mind for innovation but also making sure that there's a very calculated business case approach to bringing in technology so you know you can actually sell the the advantages of it afterwards the benefit of, of it afterwards that really makes sense. And what about, so if you're giving advice to people, what, what mistakes would you advise people to make sure they don't make? And I think it starts with don't spread yourself too thinly. So um, be very, very clear. Don't get tugged in different direction, but be very, very clear of what your certification program sets out to do. But also, I always love this exercise in design thinking is the, how do we you know, what do we not want to be? What do we not want to do? And I think that is an exercise that everybody should 
kind of fall back upon once in a while in the evolution of their program um, because you get you get tugged in all sorts of directions from different stakeholders whether it be you know your partner organization whether it be your channel whether it be your education organization so be very very clear of where you want to do to go and to be and what you want to be what your identity is don't be afraid to step back and say what we don't want to do. So it sounds like a lot of your advice is really about sorting out your strategy, sorting out your goals, getting your stakeholders aligned and things, yeah. and that that's much, much more important than detailed assessment issues like item design or reporting or, or things like that. You've got to get the strategy and the alignment right first. Well, they fall out of that. Yes, there, oh, indeed. I indeed. mean, your investment design and, and your, you know, your reporting and everything, that kind of just granulates down. Once you've got the strategy, the strategy questions of what you want to be, what your target audience is, what your portfolio should be, and that sort of thing, makes it so much easier to answer those questions um, about, you know, what should be my, my assessment design? What should be my item writing guidelines? What should be, what am I trying to do here? That makes it so much more easy. And I know you've spoken about uh, digital badges at conferences and you're quite an advocate for digital badges. How do you see digital badges fitting in with certification? I know we've, we've been on a couple of presentations sure, together sure. on this, so don't we, John? <laughs> but I, I, th I still think that, um, you know, my, my mindset hasn't changed too much in the last couple of years. I think, um, one of the, one of the most important things about digital badging for me is the ability to link between the job market and the training market and certification. To me, it kind of forges the link. Um, and it also addresses quite well the, the kind of pain points that we had at SAP, which, which led us to go to uh, certification in the cloud. And that was kind of the how do you keep your certifications up to up to date in you know cloud solutions that are changing every six months that old i say academic idea of you know you have one certification and then you have another certification three years down the line and then another one etc just didn't work in that scenario and it was much more of a a delta certification kind of kind of scenario that you have to have to keep moving quickly. And I think badging really also, you know, on top of a system like that, gives us the ability to really get transparency around those sort of delta certifications and things like that and brings dynamicism into the equation as well. That's that's really useful. And how do you think that certification might change in the future? Do you think it is going to change or it is changing? I think it is changing. I think it's bound to change. I think it will become more open. I think obviously we have quite a few challenges at the moment because, you know, we're going from um, to a much more dynamic. I think I think this is kind of the place we've been in for the last four or five years, John, to be honest, is like this balance between, you know, preserving the integrity of the certification process and embracing innovation and being able to kind of keep up with the pace of technology, et cetera, without diluting the integrity of, of our processes. And I think that will continue. You know, we've got some interesting times ahead. I would love to see evolution around 
So, I mean, I think um, the technology has been really, really good in the last three or four years. We've seen, you know, seen badging, we've seen remote proctoring. Remote proctoring is now the industry standard, whereas, you know, everybody was very sceptical about it five years ago. Uh, badging, I think, has started to become the industry standard where, you know, everybody was talking about Boy Scout badges three years ago. So I think those two technologies have, have helped the industry to move forward incredibly. I think if I had a wish list, Go ahead. <laughs> I think where I would love to see some progress going forward, and, and that really comes out of some of the projects that I've been involved in as well over the last few years, and, you know, we at, at TUV as well would be interested to see it. I think one nut we, the industry hasn't yet managed to crack effectively is practice testing. Tell me more. So I'd just love to see, and I don't know whether I'm talking about two years, I don't know if I'm even talking about prior to my retirement age, <laughs> but some scalable and credible way of, of really going to performance-based testing. I mean, I know there's been a lot of, you know, you've, you've been involved in some of these projects as well. John, over the years, you know, there has been kind of there's always been this move towards and things like that but I don't think we've ever really managed to find a, a scalable valid reliable way of doing performance-based testing sure. and I would love to see some progress on that in the next few years well, I'm sure we will see some progress and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you're yeah. you're part of it so I really appreciate you giving us the chance to be be on this podcast show. You're one of the most capable, experienced and influential uh, people in certification in Europe, if not globally. And it's been a real privilege to talk to you today. Oh, thank you very much, John. <laughs> thank you. It's been, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please reach out to me directly at john at questionmark.com with any questions, comments, or if you'd like to keep the conversation going. You can also visit the Question Mark website at questionmark.com to register for any of our many best practice webinars we host monthly. Thanks again, and please tune in next time for another exciting podcast discussion. Mm -hmm.